Gather around as we spill the tea on cybersecurity. We're talking about the topic in a way that everyone can understand. I'm your host, Jarrah Rowe, giving you just what you need. This is the Tea on Cybersecurity, a podcast from Trava. MarTech, or marketing technology for those unfamiliar with the term, is the perfect example of where technology, marketing, and cybersecurity intersect. And as we all know, data and information is so readily available, especially as we all move through our daily lives. So finding the balance between leveraging MarTech and protecting our privacy is super critical. But how do we navigate this? And as we know, I am not the expert, but I always have one with me. And during this episode of the Tea on Cybersecurity, I have Chris Vinoy, Vice President of Product and Engineering at The Juice. Hi, Chris. Howdy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk about this. I've been working in uh, MarTech for a while now and have had a lot of fun conversations around this particular topic. And I'm excited to talk to you about it today as well. I am so excited to get into it, especially as like a marketer myself. Like I just have so much interest in this. So will you go ahead and introduce yourself a little more for our listeners? Sure. As you mentioned, I'm currently the vice president of product and engineering at The Juice. The Juice is a B2B content platform for marketing and sales professionals and the brands that hope to reach those folks. In a previous life, I was a senior product manager at a account-based marketing company called Terminus, where I did their uh, de-anonymization. So turning anonymous web visitors into known accounts. I also did their advertising targeting and their intent solution. I used to joke that I was in charge of all the kind of creepy stuff. Before that, I was a director of engineering at a uh, company called Sixer that did email signature marketing, uh, including banners inside of that, and also handled a lot. I was there when GDPR first became a thing, mm-hmm. so I had to sort of navigate that landscape right as, a, as its inception. And that's really informed a lot of what I've done since then. I love it. So you just have so much experience in this topic. So you're the perfect person to talk to. Oh, thanks. Also get into GDPR a little later. I have a question for you around that in particular. So before we really dive into the nitty gritty, for those that may even be unfamiliar with MarTech, can you go ahead and just explain what that is and then maybe give an example or two? Sure thing. So you kind of mentioned it like a short for marketing technology, but fundamentally it is software and services that help marketers do their jobs better. And a marketer's job, since you are one, you know this, are pretty wide ranging. Like y'all have to touch a lot of stuff uh, in the course of a day. So it can be things like uh, email deliverability, email campaigns. There's a large startup here in, well, startup way back in the day here in Indianapolis called Exact Target that did email marketing and eventually got bought by Salesforce, for instance, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, we're, I'm talking from Indianapolis and we have a big concentration of that sort of MarTech stuff that spun off of that. So it can be things like that. It can be things like custom landing pages. It can be account-based software to do advertising and that sort of thing. Like I mentioned, it was Terminus earlier. Or it can be things like the the juice or media companies even that are more advertising and how do you reach an audience? How do you identify that audience? How do you work with sales teams in some cases? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of marketing ends up being generating leads or helping opportunities for sales a little bit later. So it's this broad umbrella, much like marketing's responsibilities are pretty broad, of software to help marketers do their jobs. Yeah. And I will say as a marketer, this MarTech technology, all of these fun apps and everything are a game changer and a lifesaver, especially for small teams. When you have like two people doing all the marketing, 
you need a little extra help. So MarTech is perfect for that. Yeah. And some some of the the fun sort of cycle we're in now for Mark De Martech is also like consolidation. So you've got these bigger tools that are tying together all these individual point solutions into like one thing, mm -hmm. right? Um, which also brings up some fun. We'll probably get to it later. Some Go fun sort of like privacy hops in between. Like this thing knows this, and this thing knows this. And in the old days, those would be two separate systems that didn't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, but as we consolidate, you end up with like, oh, the left hand and the right hand actually do know what each other is doing, which can <laughs> introduce some fun, I have a weird sense of fun, uh, fun privacy considerations for the end user. And also how marketers deal with the landscape as far as like how the public has thoughts on privacy shifted mm -hmm. over the course of probably last five years. You are leading me straight into my next question. So with the rise of MarTech, what are some privacy concerns that people need to be aware of? I'll actually start there before I get into the creepy, scary stuff. On the plus side of things, like I mentioned, the public perception and like value of privacy has changed a lot over the last five years through things like GDPR and just generally folks' awareness of what's going on. You're starting to see browsers, for instance, eliminate third-party cookies, which was a way that folks could track people around the internet for a long time. You're also seeing the rise of things like AP and IP anonymization through Apple, for instance, and also the rise of people using VPNs to do the work because IP addresses are also a way that you can sort of tie people around the internet if you could mm. get an IP address and tie it to a person. And those were the core of that sort of privacy concern for end users. I'll, I'll get the business privacy concerns here in a minute. But for end users, that's sort of like, it's the same sort of thing I mentioned earlier, the left hand knowing what the right mm -hmm. hand is doing, right? So if one site can identify you through like your Marketo cookie, right? Then being able to have that cookie follow you around the internet, be able to track your activity is where you get anecdotal stories. There was a story from Target a couple of years ago about a woman who was at Target buying things. And then Target told her she was pregnant before she knew she was, right? Just based on her buying habits and things yeah. like that, right? And it's that same sort of like tracking has gotten so sophisticated. Mm -hmm. And there are so many third party groups of these that like you can, if you're not, well, hold on, let me back up. So if you care about it and you're not careful, you could end up tracked around and they can know a lot about you, which uh -huh. you're either comfortable with or you're not. On the business side of privacy, you, depending on the type of business, you can end up storing a lot of PII or personally identifiable information, right? And there's different classifications of that and all that fun stuff. But you as a business have to hold on to that and not let it get out, which is where the cybersecurity angle of this also comes in. Like yeah. the, not only do you have to keep it private from other users and it becomes a major security breach if like suddenly any of that, like say you accidentally rig something up that a user can see all the other users inside of your system, right? Or all the information you have tied to them. That ends up being a major privacy violation on their end and a major cybersecurity problem on your end <laughs> to where you got to go fix all that. There's also different handling of that personal identification, depending on, like I mentioned, there's levels. So some stuff you can keep in clear text, some stuff you're not going to be able to do that. There's some stuff your engineers can look at and there's other stuff they don't. We'll talk more about as a business, how you can mitigate that sort of stuff a little later, I suspect. But those are the major concerns, both end user and company. It's like end user around the internet is just like, man, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff people could do to sort of track me around the internet. And on the business side, it's like, we're collecting all this data 
And we have to make sure that we're storing it in a secure way that doesn't cause privacy headaches or security headaches for us a little bit later. Right. Oh my gosh. So terrifying. Target capture. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. um, Again, that's, that's a, a illustrative story. Not everybody's doing it to that level. And I don't even know that Target's still doing it to that level because that story got out and people were like, whoa, wait a minute. But yeah. there is sophisticated targeting is still going on in a lot of places. You Google something one time and then like suddenly you're being delivered ads on it on like Instagram or something. It's like, how do you know? Like, I appreciate you paying attention, but at the same time, like, it's kind of creepy that yeah. all of it talks <laughs> together and you're able to like now give me this ad. So yeah, I understand. So you started talking about it a little bit, but how has the relationship between MarTech privacy and cybersecurity evolved over the years? A lot of it has been driven by regulations as well. Regulations and the, the rise in privacy consciousness of end users. So for marketers generally, I'm going to back out of MarTech for a minute and just talk yeah. about marketers like yourself. Like in the old days, and still a little bit today, I get on calls occasionally with marketers and they ask for this sort of information. Like you could work in lists of people right? In lots of cases, like I mentioned, email, email address targeting, like that sort of stuff. That's become a lot harder in the age of GDPR and a similar one in California, where there's a lot of additional responsibilities for companies that store and collect that sort of data. When you're a MarTech company like Juice, for instance, we are the controller of a lot of that data. And so in the old days, we might share it, right? It might just be a thing that just passes between us because in those days, end users weren't as conscious of it and businesses didn't have any regulations around it or even hadn't thought through the ethical considerations of all that. This is all early internet-y sort of days, mm -hmm. right? Um, whereas these days, like we don't let any of that out, right? <laughs> That's all our data. We don't share it with customers at the individual level. It also has upped the, the penalties for breaches of that privacy. Like I mentioned earlier, the data leak sort of thing mm -hmm. of there's been credit bureaus, for instance, that have lost all of their member information, like all the customer information. It ends up being billions and millions of dollars for them to be able to mitigate that later. So as a business, as you keep, especially in MarTech, really, as you keep building up these data streams over time, yes, it becomes an asset for your business, but it increases the liability of when you goof up, right? right. The more data you have, the more painful it's going to be if you mess up your cyber cybersecurity and all that leaks out. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so you've mentioned it a few times, and so I would love to just go ahead and segue into this, but... As like a business or a company, how do you mitigate any potential risks or anything like that when it comes to like privacy with this sort of technology? Yeah, some of it is, and you've had other podcast folks who have talked about this, but like there are certifications for doing this. And, you know, SOC 2 has a pretty good list of like stuff you should do. Yeah. And even if, you're, even if you're a company the size of the juice, like we're pretty small and pretty early. And also our particular business isn't as sensitive to customers needing SOC 2. We're still doing a lot of the SOC 2 stuff, even though we haven't gone through the certification, right? So you limit data access to just the people who need it. So engineers, that sort of thing. Um, and you have controls around that so that people can see it. And also like the other challenge I mentioned is less like technical and le like regulations, but it's also ethics and ethos 
a little bit. Like, like I mentioned, oftentimes working with marketers, especially they've been doing it for a long time, they're used to that world where like you could go and buy an email list and then start sending them emails. Or they want to know, yes, at this account, but who at this account, right? Who at this company was looking mm-hmm. at? It? And it's like, we're at a day and age now where I can't give you that information. Not only from an ethics standpoint, but increasingly, like I mentioned up at the top, like as third-party cookies go away, as IPs get harder to de-anonymize, just literally physically cannot give you that information. Like, I don't know. The best I can do is that they might work for this company, right? Mm-hmm. And that also fits well into the regulatory landscape, but you still have customer, when you work in MarTech, you still have customer pressure for like, no, really, who, who's the person, right? Because they're used to like, then I can send them emails, then I can invite them to things, then I can do all this other sort of stuff. So maintaining that balance between what is regulatory and ethically okay, mm-hmm. right? Versus what the customers actually want to go do can sometimes get into a fun sort of conflict. And as a business working in MarTech, you have to decide where in that fuzzy gray area between those you sit, right? How much information are we going to give because customers want it versus how much are we going to save or not store at all in some cases? That's always best. Not store at all because we know we don't want to mess with it, right? Um, And it's figuring out when you're working in MarTech, where are you comfortable with in that line, whether that's just personally or in consultation with legal in lots of cases. I've had lots of talks with lawyers about like where that line is for a particular company. So with the Jews, how do you all determine what, you know, data you're going to keep for whatever reason versus what you're just like going to pass through and let it go? Yeah. In our case, we're a little bit odd in that in past MarTech companies I've worked at, we were essentially a pass-through. Like we were a holder of our customers' data. And in that case, you have a lot of different responsibilities. Like mm-hmm. if it's customer data, it's your data. It's your responsibility to safeguard this sort of stuff. We will pass pretty much everything on to you because this belongs to you. We just happen to hold it for you. The juice, because we have this sort of social networking component, right? right. This is actually, there's a subset of this, like our member data. That's our data. Right. So we don't share email addresses. We don't share names with customers unless without the user's permission. Today, we don't give the user the ability to give that permission. Mm -hmm. That might change in the future. But for today, they can't say, yes, it's okay for you to share my information with this company. Right. Um, So we don't. We will share company name and we will share job title information. And that's as far as we're going to go. We don't do geolocation, for instance, of the individual. We don't do any of that sort of stuff. Nothing but job title. And that's only if the user gives it to us. We're not inferring and we tell them up front, like that's what this is for and company name. And we feel comfortable with that from regulatory perspectives and also just like ethically feeling good inside. (laughs) You're not going to start getting a lot of emails from people that know you from the news, right? We wouldn't feel good about that. We wouldn't feel, you know, sleep all that well at night or want to wake up in the morning and go to work. Right. And that's, again, because of that data ownership sort of level. In this case, those members are ours, right? They're members of the juice. And like, we have to be careful with what we share. Like I mentioned, other MarTech I worked at and lots of other MarTech is more, this is your data, whether it's like your Salesforce data, your HubSpot data, your advertising data, right? Things like that, that is like, this is your, the customer's data. And so we will share all that information directly with you because we're just the holder of it. That situation, just as an aside, opens up a whole other mess of worms because then one customer's data, you don't want to share with another customer, 
And the crossover of that data is where you end up having to talk to a lot of bloggers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I will say, as a user of the juice, I definitely appreciate that. I don't have like a bunch of people contacting me like, oh, I saw you on the juice. Like that has never happened. So, And if it does, let me know because we might have something we need to go fix. <laughs> I will for sure. All right, Chris. So I know that you're an engineer by trade. So how do you approach building MarTech systems that are secure and protect everyone's data? Step one, I kind of alluded to this earlier, is only store what you absolutely have to, especially when we're talking about personally identifiable information. Mm -hmm. Unless a product person has told you specifically what it is and why they need it, don't store it. Don't <laughs> store stuff just in case, don't store additional data. So that's step one. The, the stuff that's hardest to eventually leak out is the stuff you don't even have because yeah. it can't happen. So second of all, like I mentioned, the principle of least access, like keep the access to these systems to just the people who absolutely have to use it and keep an audit trail of when they access it and what they do. That's fundamentally it. Now, like I mentioned, there are different levels of this sort of data. Like in this right. case, we're talking about low level PII, like it's mm -hmm. names, it's email addresses, that sort of stuff. If you start getting into healthcare or into e-commerce sort of stuff, and you start getting into credit cards and social security numbers and medical records and fun stuff like that, then you're talking about encryption so that even your own people can't read this stuff. Luckily, MarTech doesn't have a lot of that. <laughs> We're usually the level below that PII that's like, we can store it in plain text. We can let engineers be able to poke around at it and do stuff. We just have to be careful about where stuff collides with one another and make sure it doesn't leave our system. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So Again, from like an engineering lens, what role do like engineers play when it comes to like, again, building these systems that comply with regulations like GDPR? Yeah. The, the fun thing is working with engineers most of my career is that a lot of the privacy ethos and ethics are particularly strong in engineers. Mm. So oftentimes engineers end up being the bulwark sometimes of product or marketing or even executive level of like, hey, you know, that thing you're wanting to do, like, that's probably not a good idea. So there's that aspect of it. And also, like I mentioned, like designing systems to be secure from the start. Like I mentioned at the Juice, we're small enough that we haven't gone through a, a SOC 2 thing, but we're still working as though we were. Right. So encrypting the data that's important, making sure that we have good audit trails and tracking and ticketing along the way so that we can control and be able to report back when we're audited somewhere down the line of like this ticket went live at this time by this person. This was accessed at this time. This is limited to just these folks. So building the system from the start, even though you're not going through SOC 2, ISO, whatever today, knowing you will eventually need to get there. Right. And most of the principles that are buried inside of those things are actually super helpful to building secure systems generally. So as an engineering organization, part of your responsibility to the business is like, go ahead and start doing that now. That way, later on, when you work with somebody like Trava, you can say like, hey, we already did all the stuff. We just need your help to actually get audited and like make sure everything works right. Yeah. So a couple episodes before this one, we talked about the different compliance frameworks and the team of guests that were with me talked about like, definitely start from the beginning, make sure everything's in order. Cause once everything's in order, everything's a breeze from there. Yeah. So definitely just get all your cybersecurity plans and risk management strategies and everything together at the inception of said company. 
And cool. like I mentioned, it's not even like because you're preparing for audit later. Mm -hmm. Like the juice may never go for top two. The it's nature the of our business, like, yeah, it's they're mostly good ideas and good yeah. principles. Like it's like if you want to build a secure system, just look at the look at the SOC two things and like just do them. And it's a lot easier to do it from the start. Like you mm -hmm. kind of mentioned, like if you've if you try and bolt it on later, lots of times you have to break a lot of bad habits where folks right. maybe haven't been doing that or kind of used to. You know, and sometimes this is fun, but used to doing sort of cowboy sort of stuff, right? Way, way back in the day. I haven't done this in a long time, but like logging into a server and like changing code and like saving it, right? Without anyone logging that you logged in or anything. Like can't do that anymore. <laughs> the days of live editing PHP files on a server some way, not a good idea. So that change management, change control, like all that fun sort of stuff that's just inherently part of SOC 2 are just good ideas for engineering practices generally. All right. So... Again, we talk about moving data across all of these different platforms and tools and things like that, but we also exchange data and things with other vendors. So how can a business ensure that like a third-party vendor or company that they're trying to partner with also adhere to good cybersecurity practices? The easiest way to do that is to ask them if they already have a certification. Like we're talking about this a lot, but like if they've already gone through SOC 2, if they've already gone through ISO, you can just ask them for that. And if they tell you they have, then you're probably good because somebody somewhere else has already verified that they do all those things. And like we said a, a couple of minutes ago, those are all good things that they should probably be doing. If you're interacting with a vendor that's smaller, a little bit like the Jews, you can ask them that question. And then I tell you, no, not yet, but we are comporting ourselves as if we were, right? And then you can ask more specific questions. In fact, you can just like copy and paste from the SOC 2 thing and just ask them, do you do these things is one way to do it. Or, you know, to get an engineering leader like myself from the vendor on a call and ask them, you'll either get very confident sort of answers to that, or you'll get a lot of like, let me get back to you or like not quite. And just having that conversation around those sorts of things. Generally speaking, if your vendor has confident answers to that, they're probably in pretty good shape. Like if they are all a complete surprise to them, Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I would be like, oh, like, like, do you guys do this? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Let's check. I'm like, oh, man, yeah. I don't want to. No, no. <laughs> At least have an answer. Like, you, like, lots of times there are things, like, I know what the questions are mm -hmm. because I, I care about it and I've been researching it for a while, right? And I've lived through SOC 2 certifications in the past. So I also know what questions get asked in that audit. Things that we're not doing today, I'm prepared for why that is, Right. Right. We're not doing this or that because it doesn't make sense for our particular setup or like it, we're not handling that sort of data right now. It's weirdly a little bit like sales and marketing where you have to understand what the objection is going to be <laughs> ahead of time and have answers for it. Um, and if they don't, like maybe ask some more questions. Yeah, definitely ask more questions. And it is cool. Like you have to think farther in advance. Of, like they're probably going to ask me this. So this is the this is the answer that I have prepared. Yeah. And maybe it's not the full answer, but it is like, this is how I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Right. This is like, I know they're going to ask it. This is how we're going to approach it. it you're not like, there are some engineers who work well at this, where they'll like write out the entire answer ahead of time. Like mm -hmm. don't necessarily do that, but be prepared with like how we're thinking about it. If this gets asked, how are we going to approach it? Have a good answer for it. And if they don't from the other side of the thing, be a little worried. Yeah. So much good information for engineers. This is great. This is a great episode. So Chris, I've definitely enjoyed talking to you about this topic. Again, it hits home for me, but before I let you go, are there any other things you would like really want to drive home? 
The biggest one is kind of, as I mentioned earlier, like if you're building any software at all, keep in mind that like anything you store becomes your responsibility to not let out, right? So don't store things just because, or just because you think it's a good idea. Like make sure if an auditor or a CEO or a person investigating a leak comes to you later and asks, why were you storing this? You have a good answer, right? And a good answer is not because it felt like it might be useful someday. So only store what you need and make sure you know why you need it. Fantastic. So much helpful information during this episode of the Tea on Cybersecurity. Tune in to a future episode coming up on pen testing. Now that we've spilled the tea on MarTech and privacy, it's time to go over the receipts. I will say this topic really hit home for me. As a marketer, I use MarTech tools all the time. I never really thought about the different privacy concerns or cybersecurity concerns until I started working at Trava and started hosting this podcast. So I've learned a lot during this conversation with Chris, and I hope that all of you have as well. So let's dive into the receipts. The very first thing I took away is when it comes to how the relationship between MarTech privacy and cybersecurity has evolved and changed over the years, it really comes down to two things. One, regulations and frameworks and things like that have changed. And two, people have their own concerns about their privacy and how it's being used. The next receipt that I have is when it comes to a company mitigating potential privacy concerns and risks, again, it really comes down to following a framework or regulation like SOC 2, ISO, or GDPR. And we've learned a lot about these frameworks this season on the T on cybersecurity. The next receipt that I have is when it comes to building a product and engineers in particular, it's important to only store the information that is needed. If you don't think you ever really need the information, then don't store it. And it's also important to only give access to who needs it. Only give access to the ones that it's necessary for them to have. And with that, it's important to keep an audit trail to see who has been accessing what and when. And the final thing that I took away from this episode, which is something that I've taken away in all of the episodes from season one and season two so far, is that it is essential to be secure from the start of the company. And that wraps another episode of The Tea on Cybersecurity. And that's The Tea on Cybersecurity. If you like what you listen to, please leave a review. If you need anything else from me, head on over to Trava Security. Follow wherever you get your podcasts.